Welcome to FASD Hope, a podcast about fetal alcohol spectrum disorder through the lens of parent advocates with over 19 years of lived experience. FASD Hope provides awareness, information, and inspiration to those people whose lives have been touched by FASD. And I'm the host of FASD Hope, Natalie Vecchione. Welcome to today's episode. Hey everyone, and welcome to Facets Friday. Before we begin, we have a clarification message from Facets Friday episode 81 guest, Lynn Alsop. Lynn says the following. When I listened to our conversation, I realized I misspoke near the end of our time. As I said, full independence is the goal both for traditional parenting and the neurobehavioral paradigm. A great example of long-held beliefs and values surfacing unconsciously along the lifelong journey of shifting our paradigm to trying differently rather than harder. At FACETS, we embrace the idea that humans are interdependent. The aim isn't full independence, but a healthy interdependence that allows the strengths to flourish and challenges to be accommodated across the lifespan. That will, of course, look different for every individual. Thanks for the opportunity to correct myself. Lynn Alsop. And now, our new Facets Friday episode with Melissa Ellickson. Melissa is a certified facilitator of the Facets Neurobehavioral Model and a Facets Program Director. She is also a community-based counselor in Roanoke, Virginia. She holds a master's degree from Seton Hall University, and she has spent the past 20 years as an advocate, community counselor, and trainer. Her passion is working with children and families living with neurobehavioral conditions and providing training internationally. Melissa became frustrated that traditional models were not working within the community, and this brought her to Diane Malvin, and her journey with FACETS. Melissa is currently providing training, consultation, and family groups. She is working on developing a community-based diagnostic clinic in Southwest Virginia. Today's topic of FACETS Friday, sponsored by FACETS, is brain first and examining our values. So welcome to Facets Friday. I love Facets Friday because I feel like not only are we providing our audience a chance to learn about the Facets model and how wonderful of a tool it is for you and your family, but I also feel like I'm just like a sponge and I'm just soaking in all this knowledge from all these wonderful facilitators. So today's guest, today's teacher, I'd like to say, is Melissa Ellingson, and she is on the East Coast with me. She's located in Virginia, and I am thrilled to have her on our second episode of Facets Friday, and today we'll be talking about brain first and examining our values, which is really important when we are having the neurobehavioral model of parenting and caregiving in mind. So on that lengthy introduction, Melissa, welcome to FASD Hope. Thank you. I am so grateful to be here. 
And I am equally grateful to have you and have our listeners just um, hear the tremendous lived experience and professional experience that you can offer through today's episode. So let's talk about um, your journey and what led you to becoming an educator in the FASD and be diagnosis land of uh, facets facilitator. Wow, that was quite quite a few years ago, most definitely. Um, I don't think I came to it initially consciously. I'm a counselor by trade, and I found that we were working, I was fortunate enough to work with families intensively in their home. Um, To me, that was a gift to be able to go into somebody's home. So I began working with families and realized that after doing this for a number of years, that the same families continue to come back over and over again. And in the mental health care world, there's a whole lot of stigma that goes along with that. And I began to talk with my colleagues and said, something's not right. We're not providing the correct information. We're not helping people. And so it took a while for me to do some research, to kind of look across the country, see who was doing something different. And I came across Diane Melvin. And I said, I've got to go. I've got to go to Portland. And so my agency was fortunate enough at that point to help me get to Portland. And I took a three-day conference with her. And it was a light bulb and an aha moment for me. It was so excited to fly back across the country, bring all the information back to my agency. And what I found after doing this for many years is that it is a progression and it is a development. And I didn't realize it at that time. And so I flew back across the country again and went back to another three-day for Diane. And in, and each time I met with her, the information grew and it was more and more and more exciting. Um, so I was able to come back and utilize that. And then Diane began the first, um, at that point, what we called the TOT, which was our training of the trainers. And I was in that first group of trainers um, with Diane and with my fellow program directors, many of them at FACETS. And that was just incredibly exciting. It was a year long process. And I was able to bring that information, of course, back to the East Coast and have been working on that ever since. And I, as an East Coaster, am very appreciative of that. (laughs) And a side note here, Melissa and I met, she did a one day training, I believe it was in, was it 2017 or 2018? I think it was 2017. Yeah. Yeah. We, she did a wonderful one day training and I was just reminiscing with her uh, before we started recording. I remember that room was filled and I remember our, um, the people who were in that um, one day training, we were so engaged. We were just asking questions and just, you know, we could not get enough of what you were teaching. And then thinking about, you know, how I took the three-day training, gosh, that would have been almost two years later, just thinking about that. And then now thinking now, two years after that, I agree a hundred percent. It really is facets training. It really is this tool. It's a resource that grows with you. You know, the more you learn and the more perspective you get about how the brain works, you really appreciate, oh, oh, okay. So I'm taking my knowledge to an, another level. So um, that that's great. So again, I'm so thankful that you're here on the East Coast. So let's talk about today's topic, which is brain first parenting or caregiving or even teaching for those educators listening and examining our values. 
which I think is so important. Lynn and I, in our first episode, talked about adjusting our expectations. But another thing that we need to incorporate into this brain-first neurobehavioral model is really looking at our own values and our own value beliefs, because that really influences how we parent or how we caregive. And especially if we have a child or loved one that has an FASD or a brain-based diagnosis. So why is this such an important topic and such a foundation in the neurobehavioral model of both parenting, caregiving, and teaching? I think it is one of the, and then this is the brilliance of Diane Malvin. I think it is one of the, the cruxes of this model. You know, there, there's numerous parts to this model, but this is a real foundation. And we all come with beliefs and values. You know, our values are shaped intergenerationally. Um, from the minute we're born, we're being instilled with values and beliefs and expectations about the world around us. And that shapes who we are as people. And there's nothing wrong with those values. Um, they're very positive. They're how we live our lives. But starting to become aware of them when we're working with individuals who may be affected with brain-based conditions is critical. Because oftentimes our values and expectations of that individual may not be the greatest fit for that individual. So it's really important to start by just beginning to examine what your values are what are your family values? What are your individual values and expectations? And what are your values as a parent, as a community member, or as a professional? Just taking that step back, taking a deep breath and being aware of what your values and expectations are. And that's a very hard thing to do. And it's not something that occurs in a day. It is a progression. It's a journey for all of us every day. And Melissa, why do you think this is such a hard thing for us to do? Oh, I think it's an incredibly <laughs> difficult thing to do because it's ingrained. Um, one of the things I hadn't mentioned is that as a facilitator, you know, I trained with Diane Malvin and came across the country, but also unbeknownst to me during that same year, my brother, who was a U.S. Marine, um, was injured in Iraq and came home with a traumatic brain injury. He came home with a neurobehavioral condition. And what we didn't realize at that time was that he was vastly more affected than we knew. Um, and it took a lot for my family to take a step back and to take a look at our values and expectations around an adult who appears to be very neurotypical. And so there were a lot of aha moments for my family as we worked through this and beginning to realize that my brother too was affected with a neurobehavioral condition. And it's very, very difficult, especially when it hits very close to home. Yes, Absolutely. I imagine that that's one of the reasons, one of the many reasons why people pursue getting trained as a facilitator in facets, because they have that personal connection, either directly or even indirectly. I imagine that that lived experience even just amplifies the ability to say, okay, you know what? I, I can relate. I can understand your journey. My journey's not the same, but having gone through what you're sharing with your brother, having gone through a similar experience, you have that genuine empathy of, I understand this journey. And it is hard to take, take that step back because it requires us to kind of put on these objective lens kind of glasses, which we're not really used to wearing all the time. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that there's many reasons many of our facilitators are here and it's all personal, whether it's on the professional level of really desperately wanting to try to help our people, to help our, our clients or our patients or whoever it may be. Um, and also in, in the parental, and we have many people um, along the way who we're on our fifth now, um, what we now call the tra training of facilitators. And we've had fabulous people here for many reasons, but on some level, they're all personal for them. Yeah, absolutely. So let's give an example about, so we're talking about values. Now let's shift over to talking about brain first before we start giving some lived examples for learning. Um, again, why is brain first such a foundation and such an important foundation in the neurobehavioral model? Right. Brain first is definitely the first thing that we think. Um, I know that anybody who's come to our six week or any of our trainings, when they leave, they're automatically beginning to think brain. And that is because there are so many behaviors that we see that are misconstrued as willful misbehaviors. And instead, what we're seeing are what we call primary characteristics, which are those brain-based symptoms and the only symptoms that we see of an individual who may be affected with a neurobehavioral condition. And so just being aware, taking that step back and being aware that those behavioral symptoms are the time we have to start thinking brain. That's the time that we take a step back and we say, oh my goodness, could this be a brain-based condition? Is this brain today? That allows us to depersonalize, to take a deep breath and to relax. And so always thinking brain first is really critical. And I like that what you just said, I like that as a hashtag, is this brain today? That is a wonderful model just to keep quickly in, in your pocket, you know, thinking of something, especially on this journey. And as you see symptoms as, as your kids, as your loved ones, you know, get older chronologically thinking, okay, is this brain today? Is this is what is happening from brain? So that is, that's a wonderful motto. I, I love that. So can you give an example? First, we'll talk about, um, we'll, we'll stay in, in talking about brain first. Can you give an example or a short story of how brain first application would look like in a real life situation? Oh, for a brain-based example, I think one of the most common that a lot of people could probably identify with um, either as parents or professionals is oftentimes maybe an individual who may struggle with a, a neurobehavioral condition could be late to appointments, could not show up to appointments. Um, can make a family late if they're trying to get someplace. And oftentimes that can be a real irritant or a real trigger for so many different people, for all of us, frankly. And I think just being able to take a step back and using that phrase, think brain. This individual is, this behavior is not willful. It just may be, maybe they're struggling with memory today, or maybe they're struggling with an area of executive functioning, um, or maybe it's just an off day versus an on day. So it allows us to really depersonalize and to take a step back and to say, think brain, okay, this is a brain day. And then we move forward. It takes away all those arguments, all that anxiety and that frustration. Which we know those arguments, anxiety, and frustration can lead to secondary and even tertiary effects. These missed or late appointments are happening because of brain functioning and executive functioning, not because of 
like you said before, willful behaviors. So it's important for us to keep that in mind. And like you said, just step back and, and say, is this brain? So that is a wonderful example. So let's talk about an example of examining our values, because this is important when we dive into the neurobehavioral model. Yes, exactly. I can think of one that, that I know was personal for our family and was an aha moment with my older, or my younger brother, rather, um, was that uh, my brother, you know, he was six foot four, 240 pounds, looked like a really fit Marine, and he came with an engineering degree from Penn State. Our values and expectations of him were quite high, even after we knew in our heads that there had been a traumatic brain injury. And um, oftentimes, uh, he would be going places with us. And it would seem to take forever if he went into a store. And that would become very frustrating for us. And one day after this had happened repeatedly, and again, it's like layers building up over time, um, he had gone into the grocery store to pick up something. And it was about an hour later. And we thought, oh my goodness. And we were incredibly frustrated. I was myself. And I kind of charged into the grocery store thinking, oh, we're going to have to have a talk today. And I went up and down the aisles. And of course, your, things start brewing and you start to get more and more frustrated um, because I'm human and my values and expectations say that you're 30 years old, that you should be able to, to go into a store, come back out. And so I found him on the peanut butter aisle and he was standing there and he had tears in his eyes and he said, there's too many choices. And he said, I can't figure out the prices. And at that moment, it was an aha moment for my family. And we said, think brain. And it was the realization that our values and expectations of how a 30-year-old should act, and I use that should in quotations, um, were okay for an individual who didn't have a neurobehavioral condition. But it was up to us to adjust our expectations of him and to, to really take a step back and say, gosh, is this my need? Or is this his need? And that's where values and expectations come in and allows us to, to start thinking, is this a good fit? Or is this a being a poor fit over time that led to some of those secondary and tertiary characteristics? Thank you for sharing that example, Melissa, because it also shows how the need for accommodation is so important when we examine our values. So like you said, you were going in there and, and you know, irritated and whatnot, and he basically through that moment expressed that he needed support. He needed an accommodation in making that decision. So when we do take a step back, not only are we able to examine our own values, like you said, but also say, okay, where can we best support this individual who has this brain-based diagnosis or this brain-based uh, difference and say, okay, obviously this, this is something that's not fitting right now. How can we make a better fit? So I think by stepping back and looking at situations like that, not only are we examining our own values and how they come into play, but then we can say, aha, where can we make the accommodation or where can we provide the support? So that's an amazing example. Wow. So let's talk about some practical tips or practical, um, examples for caregivers and parents, how they can make changes in their values or in their, um, you know, brain first thinking so that they can start seeing what a better fit looks like. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. I think one of the first steps is to take a step back. And that oftentimes is the hardest step. Take a deep breath and take a step back. There is power in observation. Um, There's a whole lot of power in just taking time to observe what's going on, what happened before, during, and after. I think that first step was to definitely take that step back and to take a deep breath. And oftentimes the next step we would say to take is to really begin to look at the age of the individual. And there's a huge difference between chronological age and developmental age for a lot of individuals. And so becoming aware of what this individual's developmental age is, where we refer to it as dismaturity at facets. And it's not immaturity, it's just that their chronological age may not meet their developmental age, and that's okay. But being aware of where they are developmentally is really critical to solving any problem that's going on in a household or at work or in a job, I mean, in a professional setting. Um, So just an example of that would be, I often work with with kids in school and uh, taking like a 10-year-old, for example. I had a 10-year-old who really struggled. It was my neighbor a couple years ago. And I really struggled uh, on the school bus coming home from school every day. Um, And as we know, that's a transition time. And that can often be vastly difficult uh, for individuals and for us grownups, too, as we come home from work. And so every day it was a meltdown on the bus. Um, And what we began to do after a period of observation was realize that this 10-year-old was more like a really highly competent five-year-old. And so developmentally, a 10-year-old was about five years of age. So once we were able to figure that out, we were able to put a couple things on the school bus. It ceased all of those arguments. The staff was less frustrated, but more importantly, the child was less frustrated and came home in a positive space. And so some of the things that we put on a school bus um, were some snacks for all of the kids that were acceptable, uh, were some fidget toys for the kids, because I would not expect a, ten, a five-year-old, rather a very competent five-year-old, to sit in their seat and to be still and to be calm and quiet on a long school bus ride home. And we live in, in the mountains areas, so some of our school bus rides are incredibly difficultly long. <laughs> So just a practical example, the first thing I always do is look at that developmental age versus the chronological age. And that is even for our adults. And when I think about my brother, I think on any given day, developmentally, he's probably 15 or 14 in some areas, 30 in some other areas. And that's okay. So it works with adults and with children. And those are wonderful reminders, again, of meeting an individual where he or she is at, which I know is is one of the core foundations of the facets neurobehavioral model is meeting them where they're at. And someone, another guest um, on a previous episode said that we should celebrate the strengths of their developmental age and not focus on the needs of their chronological age. And that was a mind shift for me. And I'm going to, now I'm going to try to think who said that, (laughs) Uh, but that was a wonderful, wonderful way to rephrase it, you know, and sell it. So like, that's exactly, it sounds like those accommodations did exactly that, you know, okay, this is what a really competent five-year-old, you know, will need to succeed in this task of a long bus ride. So yeah, I, I love that. That totally reinforces that meet them where they're at. So 
let's talk about, because we've got some cool things happening down the pipeline and here on the East coast, we're always looking for more facets, facilitators, more FASD support and everything like that. Before we end this wonderful educational episode about brain first and examining our values, let's talk about what's happening in the future for you and your community. Wonderful. Yes, we are so excited to have more people on the East Coast. Um, I'm hoping to get even more. We have fabulous, fabulous people at Facets and also in all of our classes right now. We're hoping to continue to expand. Of course, with the pandemic, our in-person has gone online. And actually, we have found that that has worked really well. Um, And I think it's because of our participants. They're just amazing. We hope to get more participants there. Uh, We hope to start some new groups coming up. And my personal goal on the East Coast, because we are lacking uh, kind of a diversified center at the moment, would be to really have a center here that would be a diagnostic clinic for neurobehavioral conditions, but also an educational center. It's the education to not only family members and professionals, but community members. That is so critical. So if we could have a centralized place Of course, hopefully the pandemic will have subsided by then, but a place that people could come and learn. And and we have provided education not only to parents and professionals, but to community members. I've worked with soccer coaches, job coaches, bosses who just want to be there for the neurobehaviorally affected people. And so to have that education is critical because if the whole world was educated, we would have done our job. Exactly. (laughs) And like so many other guests have said, when you know better, you do better. So the more people we can educate on brain first, examining our values, all of these core values in, excuse me, I should say all of these core foundations of the facets neurobehavioral model, then my goodness, people would be able to be, you know, fulfilled and, and thriving, not, you know, struggling, but being able, we can, we can make the shift from okay, I'm having such a difficult time to, what is this person? How can I best support this person? Or how can I best walk alongside this person? Absolutely. Absolutely. The power of being understood, the power of feeling understood as a person. Um, And I have, once that power is, is there for an individual, once the world around them is educated and one of, you know, one of our greatest human needs is to matter and to be heard and to make sense of the world around us. And that allows a person to do just those things. When you feel like you matter and you're heard and you're able to make sense of the world around you, you flourish and you're successful and however that success is going to be in your world. And so that's our goal is to provide that education. That's going to help people feel like they've matter and that they've been, they've been heard. Yes. Yes. I love that. And I also love the hope in the future of having such a wonderful, comprehensive center here on the East Coast. That would be phenomenal. And being in North Carolina, I'm not that far away from you. So, you know, I'll be there. (laughs) I know. I know that that is wonderful. So, Melissa, how can folks get in touch with you if they want to learn more or if they want to uh, if they have a question or anything like that? What's the best way to get in touch with you? They can reach us um, probably the fastest way is through our website at facets.org. Um, we do have a brand new website, so we're really excited about that. It looks modern. Um, as we know, technology changes constantly. 
And we have a fabulous um, executive director, Natalie, and we have our wonderful office facilitator, Stacey, um, and they are there. And there's four of us as program directors. So we're always here to help meet your needs. Fantastic. And we will be listing all of that information in today's program notes. So we're wrapping up the second episode of Facets Friday. I love to end our episodes on words of hope from our guest, from our teacher that can give our listeners hope for their journeys. So what words of hope can you offer to those in the FA slash NB community, especially thinking about today's topic, which is brain first thinking and examining our values? I think one of the first things that I would like to say is, is never give up that to keep reaching out and to keep finding people who understand you um, and that anybody can be successful. There used to be this old misnomer that individuals who are affected with neurobehavioral conditions would just really struggle. Um, and, and there was a whole lot of negativity around that. And I'm here to say that's absolutely ridiculous. I have met so many successful, wonderful, happy, and fulfilled individuals who struggle with neurobehavioral conditions. And that's because the world around them understand. And so it is possible, it is happening, and it's only going to get better. Fabulous words of hope. Melissa Ellickson, thank you so much for being on FASD Hope. Thank you so very much. Thank you for all your hard work. And I hope that you never leave the East Coast. (laughs) (laughs) I won't. (laughs) All right, everyone. Thanks again for listening to Facets Friday, and we'll catch you soon. Thanks again for listening to FASD Hope with Natalie Becchione. If you like our show and want more information, check out FASDHope.com or please leave us a five-star rating and review and follow us on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you join us again next week and remember to be informed, take care, and always have hope.